worship God on the Lord's Day. We began with uh, a call to worship. Uh, to put it in the vernacular, what's up with that? Why do we do that? Um, it's listed in the bulletin in the, in the order of service uh, as just that, call to worship. Uh, maybe the wording should be more specific uh, in order to say God's call to worship, but I think we understand that. Um, hopefully we do. Uh, let's make that more clear in our understanding uh, here tonight, and uh, hopefully by way of the leadership, uh, each Lord's Day, we can be clear about that this is God himself who calls us to worship him whenever we worship. So I want us to revisit this element of worship, uh, as we might call it. Uh, I want us this evening to ask and answer the question, why do we begin with a, with a call to worship? And the Lord willing, as, as this uh, sermon series continues, we will ask and answer the same why question uh, for each of the elements of worship. That is, for each of the things that we do uh, or the parts that are included in the order of service and thus in our worship of God. But for tonight, why the call to worship? By way of introduction, let's begin by pointing out that by asking why, what are we doing? We are, we are seeking to honor God more and better in our worship of him. And that's really what worship is. Um, some scholars have pointed out that the word worship is really uh, a contraction of two words or word parts, uh, the word worth and uh, the word part, ship, worth ship. Uh, without getting too deep into the, the etymology of uh, either uh, part of the word, uh, surely we can see by this brief um, analysis that, that worship is the acknowledgement of worth. So the question is, what is God worth? It almost sounds wrong, doesn't it? What, it almost sounds blasphemous to have to ask that question. What is God worth to you? But indeed, that is what worship is. The people of God declaring together. Remember, we're talking about corporate worship, our worship together on the Lord's day. So our worship of God is the people of God declaring together what God is worth to them. And of course, there needs to be some, some agreement. There needs to be a, a whole lot of agreement uh, in what God is worth to, worth to each one of us in order for us to come together to, to declare out loud what God is worth to us. And of course, he is worth not just a little, but he is worth a lot. And not that he is worth a lot, but that he is worth everything. We have a creator God, a God who has created us. We have a God who has saved us in Christ. Therefore, as God is our God, 
as we are saved, redeemed, remember from Romans, uh, redeemed, justified, reconciled, adopted by him. We haven't gotten to that one yet, but we will in Romans. Well, therefore, what is God worth to us? Well, he is everything to us, if we understand it rightly. He is everything to our existence. He is everything for our blessing and happiness. God is everything to our everything. God is everything to us. Well, here's the problem, I think, of so much modern evangelical worship of God. So much of worship these days is just worship. In other words, it's, it's just worship for the sake of the experience of worship. It's just worship for the sake of the experience of worship. Or if worship has anything to do with worship, the worth of God is perhaps just to be useful to us. Uh, he is just our help, our, our assistance, a, a supplement of blessing. God is worth a lot to me, someone might say. So uh, uh, I, I'm willing to forego sleeping in on, on Sunday mornings, and, and I'm willing to get myself to church. He's, he's worth a lot to me because he shows me how to live my life in a way that is best for my prosperity. Uh, he's worth a lot to me because he is there for me on standby uh, whenever I need him. And if I expect him to be there for me when I, when I happen to need him, well, then I better give him some attention uh, during my good days. In the meantime, there are other reasons to, to show up at church, to see and to be seen, as they say the social function, uh, to allow me perhaps to feel good about myself, that I am doing something spiritual with my life uh, and not being like those liberals who deny anything supernatural about life. In such a way, the worth of God becomes like a, really becomes like a talisman, uh, a rather generic, uncertain, and yet perceived as, as, as being very powerful as a, as, as a connection to all things spiritual and religious. Well, it, it's a conundrum for, for pastors and elders, because on one hand, uh, you don't want to discourage people from coming to some degree, even if they're coming for the wrong reasons. Because you, you want them to be there, that hopefully they might grow in their faith to the point of coming for the right reasons, but but the wrong reasons are still wrong, and they need to be corrected. So on one hand, uh, I could say, well, don't come if you're not going to come for the right reason. If you're not coming rightly. On the other hand, come, but hear the word of the Lord starting with the call to worship. And know what your true relationship to God is. The call to worship is meant to correct all such wrong reasons for coming here. Why are we here? It's a, it's a good question. 
In fact, I will go further to say that it's an essential question. It's a question, the answer to which will determine whether we are truly worshiping the one true God. Here's the, the brutal truth about the worship of God. If it be the worship of the one true God, that our worship can actually do the opposite of what we think we are doing. We can think we are honoring God when we're the ones defining what that means to honor God. We can think we are honoring God when we are actually dishonoring him. Or to put it another way, we can think to be worshiping God when we are actually worshiping an idol, another God, a, a, a version of God that we have made up by our own imagination. Whenever we hear the, the second commandment that we are not to make any, any image of God, we think, oh, we got that one checked off the, the list, right? Because I mean, who, you know, we don't have a statue that we're worshiping. I'm, I'm willing to trust that you don't have a statue uh, in your house, any, any idol that you're worshiping. But idolatry begins in the heart and is only, uh, only surfaces by the making of a physical stone, wood, or metal idol. Idolatry begins in the heart when we decide for ourselves who or what God is and thereby worship him thinking we're honoring him but who are we truly honoring are we worshiping the one true god or are we worshiping some version of god that we have come up with within our imagination now granted this is true of the entire service uh, we talk about the regulative principle of worship which means that we only worship god in that way that he has commanded. But we really need to see that, that when God commands us to worship him in a certain way, it's not a random, I want it this way rather than the other way. Instead, God commands us to worship him in a certain way because that way that he has commanded us to worship him fits with his character, with who he is as God. The regulative principle of worship is that we worship God according to how he commands, but that we worship God according to who he is. That we worship him in spirit and in truth. Thus the prohibition that he gives us in, in the Ten Commandments, in the, in the second of the Ten Commandments, that we must not make any image of him. And that we must instead know him, not by any image that we make of him, but by way of his word. You see the connection between how God commands us to worship him and his own character that he was set before us by commanding him to worship him in certain ways. If we know him by way of his word, then when we worship him, we will do so 
not by our decision, but by way of his command. Now I would ask, are you, are you comfortable with that? that? That when we worship God, we worship because he commands us to worship him. There might be a number of reasons why we maybe aren't comfortable with that. If someone, if someone invites you to a, to a birthday party, that, that that person is giving for themselves, giving for himself or, or her, herself. You might say, wait, what? Uh, you're giving yourself a party? And, and what if that person uh, giving himself or herself a party uh, didn't so much invite you to the party, but commanded you to be there? Wouldn't you feel, well, well what, would you, what would you feel? Uh, quite a little awkward, I would imagine, that this person felt it necessary to give himself a party and even to command you that you had to be there. That's what our worship of God is. Psalm 50, verse 3 and following says, Our God comes. He does not keep silence. Before him is a devouring fire. Around him a mighty tempest. He calls to the heavens above and to the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me, my faithful ones who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. The teaching of God's word is that God gathers his people. He even commands them to come before him. Why are we here? If we are here for the right reason, it's because God has commanded it. We are even here because he has issued a summons. I think sometimes that we ought to use that word because a call to worship is like, you know, you call somebody on the phone. Hey, come on over tonight. And let's uh, let's have some time together. This is not what we mean by the call to worship. The call to worship is a summons for us to appear before God. If you open your mailbox tomorrow and, and, and find a letter from the county or maybe the state. I don't know. Josh could tell you how this works better than I could. Um, it might be because you are being summoned to appear in court. In fact, if it's, if it's important enough, the summons might be issued in person, maybe even by the police or, or a, a, a sheriff officer. You are summoned to appear. It might even be a warrant for your arrest. But otherwise, a summons for you to appear and to answer to the governing authorities. So can we sense how far astray the church has gone in the understanding of worship? Many Christians, perhaps even most Christians, attend church. Why? Because it's Sunday. And this is the thing that you're supposed to do on, on Sundays. Or because they find it advantageous to attend worship rather than to not attend. But how many? Maybe I'm being too negative, but I doubt it. How many attend worship to answer the summons of God? And to answer the summons of God because he is their king. 
This is what kings do. When they need to speak to someone, they don't, they don't go knock on that person's door. They summons that person to appear before them. Uh, if, if the mountain will not come to Muhammad, Muhammad will go to the mountain. So it gets said. But that's not true of God and his people. If the people of God will not come to God, then will God go to his people? Actually, yes, that's grace. It's actually true that God has come to us exactly because we would not come to him. God came to us. Starting in the Garden of Eden, after the fall, God came to Adam and Eve and called them out, called them to himself. Why? Because they had sinned and they needed, they needed his grace. He came to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We see it over and over again, don't we? All the way through scripture. God came to his people, Israel, by the many prophets that he sent. God came, God came, God came. And that's what Psalm 50 says. Our God comes. And he does not remain silent. Ultimately, the fulfillment of all things and the coming of God is God coming to his, to his people in the person of Jesus Christ. He came to us. Imagine a king who issues a summons for you to appear before him. You fail to answer the summons and to appear before him, so he comes to you. He doesn't send a, a band of soldiers to break your door down and bind you in manacles. Instead, he knocks on your door. This is what scripture says. Isaiah 1 verse 18. Come now. Come now. Let us reason together, says the Lord. Your sins are like scarlet, but they shall be as white as snow. They are red like crimson. They shall become like wool. And we all know the, the verse from Revelation 3, verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and I knock. Christ comes to us and he knocks. And if anyone hears his voice and opens the door, he will come in to be with them, to eat with them, and he with them. God is a great king, but he is the king who, in Christ, humbles himself in grace and in mercy to come to us. And yes, he summons us to appear before him. Psalm 50, verse 1, the mighty one. So we're not belittling God. The psalmist is not saying, you know, you know, this is just a, a weak God who just needs some company. No, he is the mighty one. He is God. He is the Lord. And yet he speaks and summons the whole earth from the rising of the sun to its, to its setting. Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. We need to spend a little time on that. His claim is worldwide. It's not that he just summons those who are willing to come. He summons the earth. He, sum, he summons every last man, woman, and child from the rising of the sun to its setting. 
I think on one hand, that's simply to say the whole earth from the rising of the sun to its setting. But, but I think on the other hand, further, it's saying that creation itself is God's summons. As the sun rises each day, God is thereby summoning. The rising of the sun is God's summons for all mankind to worship. Because if he has blessed each person with another day on this earth, so he thereby calls each person to acknowledge him. That's what worship is. To acknowledge him for who he is. Or what he is. As he makes himself known. And yet verse 2 says, Out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. We shouldn't miss, the, I think, the, the juxtaposition of the sun and the shining forth of God from Zion. If we look at creation and, and enjoy the blessings of God in creation, we ought to be brought to worship him. But we don't, do we? Every day begins and ends with, uh, or every day begins and ends, and the easiest thing to do is to, is to just take it for granted. That's just creation, that, or that's just the universe. So we end up really worshiping creation, worshiping the universe, if you think about it, rather than the creator, the one who made the universe. But Psalm 50 verse 2 says, out of Zion, the perfection of beauty, God shines forth. The sun is beautiful and, and gives testimony to the beauty of God. But it's Zion that is the perfection of beauty. Zion is Mount Zion. Zion is Jerusalem. Zion is the, is the, the special revelation of God. Zion is the revelation of God beyond the sun, moon, and stars. Zion is God's revelation of, of himself to those who take the sun for granted. Zion is Christ and the cross, the resurrection of Christ and the work of God for a new creation to bring sight to the blind and to open the eyes of those who will not see. So can we, can we sense the orientation? Sinful man wants to connect with God to plug into God, if we can put it that way, sinful man wants to make use of God. And the reason is that sinful man wants to think that they, that they just live in parallel with God. Alongside of their existence is God's existence, when in reality we are utterly bound up to him in our dependence upon God. We have no existence apart from God as our creator. We, 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 we have no continued existence. Uh, we have no survival. We have no sustained life apart from God. So as we come to worship, shall we, shall we come to get some help? Yes. But is that all we need? Shall we come to bring our troubles to God? Yes. Should we come to gain his assistance? Sure. But we must also come to acknowledge our full 
dependence upon God, our place in this world is as creatures under his care. So the Apostle Paul even said, only in him do we live and move and have our being. So this is the point of the, of the call to worship. Not that we just start the service in some traditional way, but that we acknowledge from the start by way of the call to worship, first of all, that we are not here by our sheer goodwill, almost as if we're doing God a favor. We're not showing up unannounced to give God a surprise party, expecting him to be happy that we chose to come. We shouldn't be showing up because others expect us to be here. So that if, if we aren't here, they, well, they would miss us. We show up here by a true faith if we come in answer to the very summons of God. And it's, it, it's the summons that he has issued by setting the sun in the sky each and every day and the moon by night. Have you been watching lately? The, the sun, Jupiter, and Venus are all uh, together in the sky right now. That's the glory of God. And that in itself is a summons for us to worship the God who made these planets and the sun and, this, and the moon uh, in the sky at night. But what do we do? We ignore it. We take it for granted. It's just the universe, just the universe. It's a display of the, of the beauty and the glory, the majesty, the wisdom, the power of God. And we enjoy it. And we might even say, wow. But the point is that we should give God glory, even from our hearts. God summons us to worship by the creation that he has made, the creation that we enjoy each day, the creation that includes us. To some degree, you don't even have to look at the moon, Venus, and Jupiter in the sky. Look at your own body. Look at how fearfully and wonderfully you have been made. This is to God's glory. At least it should be. In a sense, how can we not worship him to whom we owe everything? Well, that's all creation. Or we might say that's all the first creation. But as we talked about this morning, there is a new creation. That God has accomplished. And we are part of that creation as well. We are part of it again by the work of Christ. And by the work of the Holy Spirit. And so even the gospel itself. We, uh, we use certain verses repeatedly, right? Certain passages of scripture repeatedly as a call to worship. I think one of the best ones. And we use this one fairly often psalm 95 oh come see there this is one of the most explicit calls to worship oh come let us sing to the lord let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our salvation let us come into his presence with thanksgiving let us make a joyful noise to him with songs of praise for the lord is a great god and 
a great king above all gods. In his hands are the depths of the earth, and the heights of the mountains are his also. The sea is his, for he made it, and his hands formed the dry land. And then, and then the bookend, the same thing as verse 1. Oh, come, come, let us worship and bow down, let us kneel before the Lord our maker. So we use this passage repeatedly because it is such a clear call. Come, let us worship together. Let us kneel and bow down. Such a clear call to worship. But in the end, what do we need to understand is that the gospel itself, the gospel is found in this passage as well. Uh, but even John 3.16 is a call to worship. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That's a call to worship. The gospel itself, in, in however it's expressed in scripture, is our reason to come and to worship in answer to God's call, in answer to what, to what God has done. Maybe next Sunday we'll use John 3.16 as our, as our call to worship. But just remember that, that every pronouncement, every proclamation of the gospel is a call to worship because God has saved us in order that we might worship him with joy, with gladness, with hope, and with peace. Because even though he is God, the Lord, the mighty one, even though he is fearful and a fire devours before him, yet he is our God. And we are reconciled to him and we are his people and he is our God, even our father who is in heaven. The gospel really is our call to worship and should be our reason to be here each Lord's Day. To worship him. Amen. Let's uh, bow in prayer. Oh Lord, you deserve our worship and our praise. You've made that clear. And yet we can be so blind. We can come for all the wrong reasons. And yet when we come for the right reasons, we not only honor you, but we also reinforce what we know of you, the hope that you've given us, the salvation you've accomplished for us in Jesus Christ. So may we indeed come in fear and come with joy and, and come in answer to your summons, but also come with great gladness in our hearts and with great assurance that you receive us in your presence. Here you will bless us. This is your promise. Your means of grace are here by word and sacrament as we gather to worship that you will minister to us and provide for us what, what we need. The Lord grant that we would come for the right reason. And increasingly as we continue our study to come in the right way. Forgive us for coming in the wrong way. And thank you that there's always grace for us to repent and to, and to do better. And to come uh, more rightly before you each time we do so. All this we ask and pray in Jesus' name and for his sake. Amen.